Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 to 21. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Make you perfect are the words that I will highlight this morning. I do remind you, however, that the benediction is divided into two parts. Verse 20 is the preface to the prayer, and that's a lengthy address to God, and that is telling us about the God of peace and what he has done, what he has accomplished for us as we pray unto him. And by making this preface long, the apostle, of course, is giving us confidence to pray. Does God hear prayer? Is there even any point in praying? Does prayer work? Of course it works. Because God hears prayer. Because you see, He is this God. He's the God who cares. He's the God of peace who has sent His Son, making Him a great shepherd of His sheep, having raised Him from the dead, the mediator alive and living, the high priest at the right hand of God, a curing shepherd. Of course you can pray. And of course you will be heard because this God has done so much in order to make a way of approach to Him. A God of peace who has reconciled us unto Himself so that we can come into His presence and pray. So that's the reason for this long preface. To inspire confidence in us to know that he has raised up from the dead a mediator, a caring shepherd. He is willing to answer our prayer. We can have complete confidence. In fact, this opening address tells us God hears and answers prayer. That's the reason for the preface, to inspire confidence. To ask. And what does the preacher ask for his flock? Well, here it is in verse 21, which we consider make you perfect in every good work for the glory of Christ. He is praying for these believers that he has preached to. I've said that what the epistle is up until this point is really a homily, it's really a sermon. And now he's closing it with concluding comments and wrapping it up to send it off. So he has preached to them. He's given them the sermon. It's over now. And he asks God that his blessing may be upon the sermon that he's sending out to them and that God himself would perfect them. And he means, of course, by means of the sermon as well as by means of other things. So this is clearly a prayer 
for the sanctification of the believers. Make them perfect. Saints are justified, of course. They're saved. They are reconciled to God, to the God of peace, through this blood of the everlasting covenant. They have peace with God through Jesus Christ. But God's work in them is not finished. God's work in them is not perfected by the fact that they are saved by grace. No, there's more to do. They are not yet made perfect. And so the apostle prays, Lord, make them perfect. This word, make perfect, the apostle has already used it a couple of times. And it means to to form, to develop, to prepare, to frame, and to build up. He has used it in the description of the creation. Uh, We understand that the worlds are framed by the word of God. That is, they're prepared, they've been built up, they've been perfected, and they've been made by the creative power of God. So that word describes the creation of the cosmos, perfected, framed. It also describes the body of Jesus Christ as has been prepared in the womb of the virgin. A body hast thou prepared me. A body hast thou framed and art developing in the womb of the virgin the humanity of Christ, perfected, prepared, framed. And now he prays that God's people may be framed, that they may be prepared and perfected and made this finished product. So clearly justification doesn't make Christians perfect. There is not perfect harmony, not perfect communion and fellowship with God. Sin remains in the heart and life to some extent The work of becoming holy continues. It goes on. And it must be prayed about. Make them perfect. It's a great way to pray for believers. And we all have faults. But the best thing we could do for our brethren and sisters. Instead of criticizing them. And exposing them. And running them down and talking about them behind their back to others. The best thing that we could do is just to say, Lord, make them perfect. That's what the apostle does. Lord, make them perfect. The the work continues. It's ongoing. It's progressive. So the forgiveness of sins is not all. God doesn't stop there. He makes perfect. And that's what we want to think about this morning. This making perfect that God does in his people. This work of sanctification. This progressive work that needs to be prayed about. The first thing that we can say about this is that it is God's will. Even as Paul said to another church, this is the will of God. Even your sanctification. God's will is not saved, and off you go. No, God's will is saved, and then every pupil is enrolled in the school of holiness. God's school of sanctification. Every believer goes into it. 
Every believer who is adopted into the family of God is put into his school and it's a school of growing in grace. It's a school of being prepared and being framed in holiness and you come out of it at the last in glorification. It's progressive in this school. And some people are in it longer than others. Some people are in it a lifetime. Some people who get saved late in life are maybe only in it for a number of years. But all who are saved are enrolled. However young or old they be at their conversion, they are enrolled onto the path of becoming more holy. And that it is God's will is very evident from our studies of the scriptures. Because first of all it is of the nature of the covenant that the apostle is very often talking about in this epistle. In fact he has mentioned it there in verse 20. The everlasting covenant. So there is this new covenant, this eternal covenant. And God's covenant as we know and Paul has said. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days saith the Lord. I'll be merciful to their unrighteousness. Their sins, their iniquities, will I remember no more. So part of the covenant has reference to their sins. And to the forgiveness of their sins. To their being reconciled to God. To their being made at peace with God through Jesus Christ. And the washing of them and the clothing of them and the garments of salvation. That's one aspect of the covenant. But it's not all the covenant. It's not the fullness of the covenant. There's more to the covenant of grace than that. Than the forgiveness of sins. No, God says also, I will put my laws into their mind. Write them in their hearts. I'll be to them a God. They'll be my people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother. Saying, know the Lord. For all shall know me. From the least to the greatest. So here's something more. Here's something beyond just the forgiveness of sins. Here's something of being made like God. Being made his people. Being made godly. As God is holy. Being made with his law in their hearts. His law in their mind. An internal work. A heart and a life. That is in conformity to the law of God. And to the word of God. That's part of the covenant too. So it's not just justification or acceptance with God. There's something internal going on too. There's something in the heart. There's something in the life. There is their perfecting through grace. Their sanctification. So the blood removes sin and it deals with guilt. But there is also the internal work of preparing a holy sin. And it completes in the glorification of them each one. So God makes his people holy. Internally holy. In mind and in heart and life. And that takes time. It's not like justification. Justification is the act of a moment. A divine act of a moment. But sanctification is the work of a lifetime. Daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, hour after hour, 
the more and more being made conformed unto Christ's likeness. You know how the apostle says, don't be conformed to this world. That's not what the covenant makes you, to be conformed to this world. No, the covenant's taking you out of that world and you are to be conformed to the image of God's Son. You are to become Christ-like. You are to become like the elder brother. You're not only to be brought into the family, you're to go through the school and you're to come out behaving like him, looking like him, acting like him, thinking like him, utterly conformed to his likeness. In fact, that's the whole end of the covenant itself, that God will bring a people in who will be just like his son, Jesus Christ. The elder brother, behold I and the children whom you've given me, Father. Do you see them? They bear your likeness, my Father. And we get this likeness in the school of sanctification. And the text of scripture outside that school is this verse. Make them perfect unto every good work through Christ. So it is God's will because of the covenantal nature of things. And then it's it's God's will because... Uh, We saw that whenever Christ uh, suffered outside the camp and he died on the cross and we all know how important the cross of Christ is to us and the dying of our Lord Jesus Christ is to us. So why is he out there suffering? Why is he out there dying? And we have to go out onto him. What, what, What does Paul say in verse 12? Wherefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered without the gate. So he suffered not only for a forgiven people, but he suffered for a a sanctified people. A holy people. He didn't suffer because they were holy. No, he suffered in order to make them holy. It was the purpose of the cross. Not just justification, but sanctification and glorification too. All of that is in the whole package. Of Christ's death. As in that covenant. Which he ratified by his death. And so it's to make us. To be lovers of God. It's to make us to be. Lovers of Christ. And lovers of his people. It's to be make us to be lovers of good works. In every way. That's why he died for us. Both he that sanctifieth. Christ and they who are sanctified are all of one. They have a likeness. They have a unity and a harmony as the family of God. Therefore, Jesus is not ashamed to call them brethren. He's not ashamed to call them brethren because they have something of the family likeness. And he delights in that. He loves that. And he brings that to his Father. These these are they, my people. You see how they're like me, Father? All of one, sanctified all of one, even as I am, they are too. For their sakes, we read it, didn't we, in John 17, I sanctify myself, that they might be sanctified truly. Paul said to Titus, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity. That's the forgiving part. 
but also purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works, sanctification. And so it's important because it's the purpose of Christ's death, to sanctify them. It is God's will. It's clearly revealed here in verse 21. Make you perfect in every good work to do his will. His will is in the matter. His will is important to him and ought to be important to us. And this is part of his will. To be godly, to be rich in good works, to become more perfect, to be framed unto godliness. And it's there also said, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight. It's well-pleasing to him to see his people holy. It's well-pleasing to him to see good works, to see them doing well and pleasing him in their lives. This is well-pleasing to God. He's not talking here about justification. No, justification makes us to be accepted in the Lord, but we also have to please him too. And it's our godliness that pleases him. Well pleasing in his sight. So it is good works too. And doing his will and the life of godliness. This is important. Didn't the apostle say in verse 16. To do good. To communicate. Don't forget. For with such sacrifices. God is well pleased. He's well pleased with the sacrifices of godly living. He's well pleased when his people love him. He's well pleased when people do his will out of love to him. Not to be seen merely, but because they love him, that pleases him. It's his will. Being a doer pleases him. Let's be clear about this, brethren and sisters. Good works do not save, but good works are necessary to please him. They are. Does his people displease God at times? Indeed they do. Very often. They may give him displeasure by their disobedience. That is why we must stay in this school. That is why we need these prayers prayed over us. Make them perfect. Perfect that within them. That is displeasing to you Lord. And Paul himself has been very frustrated with these Hebrews. And if the preacher has been frustrated, how does the Lord feel at times? And so at the end of the sermon, he says, Lord, perfect them. And he said inside himself, I trust this sermon will be part of it. And that as God's will is also seen in the intercession of Christ. That's why we read John chapter 17. The intercession is connected to the death of Christ. What he died for, he intercedes for in the application of that on the grounds of his death. And so if he dies for their forgiveness, he prays for their forgiveness. If he dies for their holiness and sanctification, he prays for their holiness and sanctification. Even as we heard, for he said, Father, sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. And so he said, the glory which you've given me, I've given them, that they may be one, I and them, thou and me, listen to it, that they may be made perfect in one. And Paul is just, he's just praying the intercession of Christ. 
Make them perfect. Make them perfect in one. Make them perfect as a body. Make them perfect in every good work. And he goes on and he prays. And I will that they be with me. And they behold my glory. That thou hast given me. So he prays for their sanctification on earth. And then he prays eventually. That they also may be with me. And have the same glorification. And enjoy my glorification. In seeing it. And that's not just looking at it. But that's participating in it as well. He prays for their glorification as he prays for their sanctification. So it's part of the intercession of Christ. That's God's will then. If the Son of God is praying for it. Because he asks nothing outside the will of his Father. And then that it is God's will. Sanctification and being made perfect. Is seen in the nature of and the purpose of the Christian ministry. I remind you that this is a Christian minister praying for the flock that he has preached the word to. What is Paul? He's a minister of the word. He's a preacher. And he's given his homily, as I said. He's preached to them, and he preached to make them perfect, and now he's praying that God will make them perfect. He's praying for what he had aimed at in the preaching to make them better, to sanctify them. And that's the end of the Christian ministry. That's why the Christian ministry exists. Paul is only doing what Christ called him to do, to feed the flock of God. And that Christ has called him to do that shows it is God's will that they be sanctified. It's not something minor being made perfect and being sanctified. The Christian ministry does not just exist for evangelism. Not even mainly for evangelism. All God's people are evangelists. All God's people are soul winners. All God's people are to bring sinners to Christ. Everybody and the whole church engages in evangelism. But ministers, as well as the evangelistic part, ministers are appointed to feed the flock, to make them perfect, to make God's people perfect, to see to the sanctification of the people. Ministers are not just soul winners. They are mainly the feeders of the sheep. The ministry exists for your perfecting and your sanctification, flock of God. And it was for that purpose that you even called a minister to feed you, to feed the word of God onto you. And that's why Christ created it. Ministers are for God's flock. Not for all men, not for sinners merely, but for you. The saints of God to teach you and to feed you. Ministers are shepherds of the sheep of the flock. Under shepherds to Jesus Christ, who is that great shepherd that he's mentioned to. And as he says it, Paul has in his own mind, I'm just a far lesser shepherd. But I want to do the business that a shepherd does. And that's to make the sheep better. To make the sheep perfect. To see the sheep sanctified. 
And so this is what Paul is about and what the ministry of the word is about. Ministers are not entertainers. Ministers are not keepers and pleasers of the goats. Ministers are feeders and keepers of the sheep. Even as God says in that great book wherein the covenant is revealed, the book of Jeremiah, I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. And as Paul said to the Ephesians, when he was describing the purpose of the teaching ministry office, giving them pastors and teachers, listen to it, for the perfecting of the saints. Make them perfect. Pastors and teachers have been given by the ascended Christ for the perfecting of the saints. The very ministry here exists because the will of God is your sanctification. For the perfecting of the saints. He doesn't stop there. For the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. No goats there. Just the body of Christ. And it's to go on until we all come in the unity, this oneness that Jesus prays about, in the oneness of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God onto, listen to it again, a perfect man. He's looking at the church now as a body, the body of Christ, and it's being fed by the minister's until that body becomes in conformity with the head, a wholesome body, as the body of Christ ought to be. Perfect. That's the work of the Christian ministry. That's the work of preaching. And that's the business of the prayers of the preachers. It is that God sanctifies his people. So it's the will of God then, clearly. But then secondly, not only is it God's will, only God can do this in his people. Do you see how the apostle says, make them perfect? He's looking to God to do it. And then he adds, working in you. Working in them. Working in you. It's, it's God that does this. It's only God who can perfect us. It's only God who can work in us and in our heart. And so he prays, you see, as the Bible says, I am the Lord that sanctifies you. What is sanctification? The catechism answers, it's the work of God's free grace. It's a divine work, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and art enabled more and more to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness. So it's unlike justification in that regard. Justification, as I said, is an act of God's free grace. Sanctification is a work, a work of God's free grace, a progressive, ongoing work that never ceases until glorification. It continues so that you are enabled every day, more and more, bit by bit, to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness. You're not perfectly dead unto sin yet. You're not perfectly living unto righteousness yet. You have to progress in that work. 
And the ministry pushes you on and prods you on. And the prayers to God that he will do this in his people continue. So God does this work. It's ongoing. He also says there in verse 21, working in you through Jesus Christ. It only is done through Christ. It's done by his blood, yes, in the purchase of it and the obtaining of this gift of grace. But it's also done through Christ as he ministers the Holy Spirit to his people and works, operates in them, working in you. That's what the minister wants. He wants God working in you, in your heart, in your life. Sanctify them, Jesus prays. So he recognizes the Father does it. Father, sanctify them. You have to do this work. I know it's your will, but you have to do it. Progress it, Lord. And Paul said to the Thessalonians, the very God of peace, there again, he just loves that expression, God of peace, the very God of peace, sanctify you wholly. And I pray God, your whole spirit and your soul and your body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's seen in the prayers of God's people that God does this. Lord, you have to do this. And even we ourselves, we pray these things. Lord, make me holy. Lord, draw me, draw me, and I'll run after you. I will run the way of thy commandments when you enlarge my heart. You have to enlarge my heart, Lord. And so we read so often in the Bible, quicken me, strengthen me, help me, enable me, Lord. So we're recognizing we can't do this in our own strength. We need the Lord to sanctify us. So that's the second thing. God's will to be sanctified. It's God's work to do it. But then thirdly, he does this working in us as we go into his school and cooperate with him there in these things. It takes God's working, but it also takes our cooperation. That's the thing about sanctification. He works in us whereby we are renewed and are enabled to do. So there's something to do. There's our activity in it. Our, our being part of it. Our furthering it on. So justification in that act of a moment. Makes us right with God. Makes us at peace with God. And being at peace with God. God puts us into the school. And there he works with us. Making us holy. We're adopted into his family. But we're not like him. Especially when we're just saved, not one bit like him. But he adopts us into his family and he's going to bear with us and he's going to make us like himself. Perfecting us. Didn't we say we're going to emphasize this in the new year? Not what we were, but what we're to become. What we're going to be in God's school when he's finished with us and what we're going to come out like. Like Christ. So we're in God's school. If you're a Christian, you're in God's school. I tell you this, if you're not in God's school, you're not a Christian. There's no choice about the matter. If you're saved, you're enrolled. And you ought not to be mitching or shying away. Every child of God is enrolled. He's entered in. And God is working in him. And you better be cooperating with the Lord in this business. So he wants to make you perfect. In every good work to do. He wants you to be a doer. He wants you doing his will. 
He wants you to be doing that which is well pleasing in his sight. And so that's why you're in this school, to get this more doing among us. So this is God's will for his people. We might even say, as I've already said, this is the text on the very gate of the school of sanctification. This is the benediction over all the pupils. This is what every minister of the flock prays over all his people. Perfect. Through Christ. This is the text on the gate. There are several classrooms in this school. All of them have to be attended to. There is the classroom of prayer and closet duties and seeking God and asking for more grace, asking for more of His Spirit, praying for more of His sanctifying grace in our hearts and lives, asking the Lord to bear with us and to be patient with us and to forgive us our many faults and failures thus far in the Christian life and in His long-suffering just to continue on blessing the ministry Blessing the means of grace that I may make some development in this business and that I may get some likeness unto thee, Lord. So prayer is a vital part of it, isn't it? There's a classroom of prayer. You can't omit that. Your private prayer, your closet prayers, the prayers with the saints, and especially your amen to the prayer of the preacher as he pronounces the benediction over you. Amen, Lord, I want that in my life. Hear the prayers. And so prayer is a very important classroom in the school of sanctification. And then there's a classroom of the ordinances of the gospel, the ordinances of the church, the feeding ordinances for the flock, the ministry of the word, the Lord's table, and all of these things, they're all part of it as well. You shouldn't be shying away from the preaching. You shouldn't be missing the ministry of the word. It's what God uses. He's given you the ministry of the word to sanctify you. Don't neglect it. Don't despise it. Don't cast it to one side as a trivial thing. And get it brushed away and we'll bring in something else. No, it's major. It's major in your perfecting. It's a major classroom in the school. Be in it. Attend it. And pray for your blessing within it as well. So the the ordinances of the church of Jesus Christ that exist for the flock. The means of grace. His body and blood that we feed on at the table. Building us up onto the likeness of Christ. All of these things are essential. But then there's another class. We might even call it a gymnasium. The gymnasium where you're really stretched and tried and pulled at and where it really sweats and where it really is hard and difficult. The gymnasium of divine chastisement. Trials and afflictions that God sends us in his love in answer to this prayer make them perfect and sometimes to make us perfect. He has to put us into the gymnasium of divine chastisement and we have to be exercised. That's the apostle's own word. You have to be exercised thereby. You have to let these trials carry out their purpose of God in your life. 
And they're to make you better. They're to make you humble. They're to make you love the Lord more. They're to make you pray more. They're to make you cry unto God more. If you endure in chastening, God's only dealing with you as children in a school to make you perfect. That's what it's about. All these trials. That's the way we should look at it. Oh, we shouldn't just say, oh, this is the devil. This is bad men. Yeah, maybe so. They have their purpose. But God allows it. And he has his purpose. And his purpose is always your perfecting. Your godliness. Your holiness. Our fathers after the flesh, they wanted to make us better. They gave us a check or two and a smack or two. And they disciplined us hard enough. And it was only in love to make us better. To make us the kind of son or daughter that they wanted us to be. And if our earthly parents will discipline us with all their faults, what will our Heavenly Father do to correct us? So we do endure chastening. And it's not pleasant. Even as I prayed this morning, congregation, and often do pray from this pulpit, that the Lord would sanctify your trials to you. I know you're troubled. I know you are a tried people. I know you have been through the mill. Very many of you. But God is working in you. He's doing it in his grace. He's only preparing us for the glory that we're all very soon about to go to. That's what it's all about. So take these things meekly and humbly, without murmuring and complaining, while it doesn't seem joyous but grievous, nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them that are exercised thereby. So it's a very important class in God's school. And the worst thing is that he does bring us in that classroom, that trial, and they don't sanctify us. That's the worst thing of all, to go through trials, to go through all the hard times, and to come out of them not one bit better. That's an awful thing. What a waste. What a waste of time. What a waste of means on God's part, it seems. No, the best thing is not to avoid the trials, people of God, but the best thing is to be made holy by them. As God brings us through them. And he will. He will if we're, if we're his children at all. You don't get missing this classroom. I can tell you. And if you mitch off in other classrooms. You'll find yourself ending up in that one. In the gymnasium. Where the Lord will teach us. Where the Lord will perfect us. So this is the things that we learn from this. This wonderful prayer of the apostle for us. In this benediction.